This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. American presidents past and present held competing rallies in the swing state of Pennsylvania ahead of Tuesday's midterm elections. Barack Obama and Joe Biden staged a double act in Philadelphia, where Mr. Obama told Democrats that truth and facts and logic and reason and basic decency are on the ballot. Meanwhile, southeast of Pittsburgh, Donald Trump roused Republicans, calling on them to stop the destruction of our country. Japan's Prime Minister Kishida Fumio promised to increase the country's defence capabilities, saying that it must be ready to protect itself from rising security threats. He cited North Korea's recent flurry of missile tests and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The message is a sign of shifting priorities in Japan, where pacifism has been a powerful political principle since the Second World War. China reported 4,420 new daily cases of COVID-19, the highest since May. On Saturday, officials reiterated their commitment to a zero-COVID approach, involving strict lockdowns when new outbreaks are detected. Markets had jumped in recent days on the hope that China would relax its COVID restrictions, which are dampening economic growth. The UN's human rights chief urged Elon Musk to ensure that human rights are central to the management of Twitter. Reports that the social media firm's entire human rights team had been sacked were not an encouraging start, wrote Volker Turk in an open letter. Earlier, Mr Musk claimed Twitter had no choice but to conduct mass layoffs as the social media platform is losing $4 million per day. Iran's Revolutionary Guards launched a new rocket capable of carrying a satellite, according to state television. The country has three satellites in orbit and claims its program is peaceful, though Western powers are not so sure. Separately, for the first time, Iran admitted to supplying Russia with drones, but said the shipments were delivered before the war in Ukraine. An American official said they were sent this past summer. Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's conglomerate, recorded a loss of $2.7 billion in the third quarter of 2022 as stocks sagged. That is better than the $43.8 billion it lost in the second quarter, though less than its $10.3 billion profit a year ago amid a stock market boom. Operating earnings, a proxy for the cash generated by the firm's businesses, rose compared with a year ago to $7.8 billion. A suicide bomb attack at an army training camp in Mogadishu, Somalia's capital, left at least 10 dead. Al-Shabaab, an affiliate of Al-Qaeda, claimed responsibility. On Friday, the army said it killed 100 Al-Shabaab fighters in clashes in the central state of Hershabel. A week ago, Al-Shabaab killed 116 people in two bomb attacks in Mogadishu. And word of the week. Pesantrans. Indonesia's Islamic boarding schools, testing grounds for the eco-Islam movement. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. COP27 kicks off. On Sunday, the United Nations Annual Climate Summit begins. Delegates have massed in Sharm el-Sheikh, an Egyptian resort town on the Red Sea, for the event which runs for two weeks. Politicians will make lofty public promises about reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Behind closed doors, meanwhile, 
negotiators will squabble about how to do it and who should pay. At last year's summit in Glasgow, nearly 200 countries recommitted themselves to the Paris Agreement target of limiting global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels by 2100. That goal already appears practically out of reach. Countries have failed to adequately slash emissions, which are still rising globally. The consequences of this will be catastrophic, and every effort should be made to ensure as little warming as possible. But there also must be an enhanced commitment to adaptation, including poor countries' calls for funding for the damages they have already incurred. The clock has already ticked too far. Australia's Reckoning with Racism The list of crimes perpetrated against Australia's aboriginals, who make up about 4% of the population, is long and grim. Even by those standards, the death of Cassius Turvey shocked the country. On October 13th, the 15-year-old was walking home from school in Perth, in Western Australia, when he was chased down and assaulted with a metal pole. He died of his injuries ten days later. Police have charged Jack Brearley, a white 21-year-old, with murder. Mr. Brearley will appear in court on November 9th. Aboriginals are aghast. Thousands have gathered in vigils this week, calling for an end to racism against their people. Yet police warn against, quote, unfounded speculation that could prejudice a jury and jeopardize the trial. They say there is nothing to indicate yet that there was a racial motive suggesting it could be a case of mistaken identity. To Aboriginals, that is tin-eared and proof that authorities remain indifferent to their plight. Corruption at FIFA Of the 22 men on FIFA's executive committee in 2010 who voted to award the 2018 World Cup to Russia and the 2022 edition to Qatar, more than half of them have been accused, indicted, or convicted of corruption, according to Nick Harris, a journalist. For years, football's global governing body was a rotten organization, more concerned with feathering the nests of its leaders than promoting the game around the world. But in recent years, investigative journalists and law enforcement officials have been applying more scrutiny. The reckoning for a generation of football administrators most notably Sepp Blatter, who was FIFA's president for 17 years, is the subject of a new Netflix documentary, FIFA Uncovered, released next week. The World Cup in Qatar, which starts in a fortnight, will be an exercise in damage limitation for FIFA before it can turn its attention to the 2026 event. Co-hosted by America, Canada, and Mexico, that tournament has so far escaped the whiff of corruption. Smartphones can assess bridge safety. People like to imagine that bridges are unshakably solid. In reality, they are dynamic. Vehicles and wind keep them constantly a-quiver. Engineers regularly monitor bridges' structural integrity with expensive sensors. But research published in Communications Engineering shows that crowdsourced data from drivers' smartphones can detect a bridge's vibrations just as accurately. Researchers, and some Uber drivers, drove back and forth across the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco as their phones ran a purpose-built app, 
In under 100 crossings, the app was able to tune out traffic noise and isolate the bridge's vibrational frequencies. The crowdsourced data was nearly identical to that from conventional sensors placed along the bridge. The same held true for tests on a shorter concrete road bridge. The engineers estimate that this practice could add up to 15 years to a bridge's life. No bridge lasts forever, but constant, cheap data is the key to preventative maintenance. Weekend Profile Carrie Lake, Arizona's Republican candidate for governor. The first time she was, quote, canceled really hard, as she puts it, Carrie Lake did some soul-searching. In 2019, a hot mic had caught Ms. Lake, then a veteran television newsreader in Phoenix, Arizona, crudely dismissing concerns about her presence on Parlay, a right-wing social network. Fuck them, she said of her detractors. They're 20-year-old dopes. After the tape leaked, the dopes called for Ms. Lake to be fired. She spent a week off the air, but her unease only grew. She turned to God. She started comparing the Bible she kept on one side of her desk with the news scripts she kept on the other. Eventually, she quit broadcasting altogether, saying she was through with, quote, having to read news that I felt wasn't fully truthful. Shortly thereafter, she announced her candidacy as a Republican for governor of Arizona in a video produced by her husband, a videographer with a penchant for soft-focus backgrounds. Ms. Lake enjoys a slight lead over her lackluster Democratic opponent, Katie Hobbs, ahead of Tuesday's election. She is reveling in her cancellation. Ms. Lake frequently peddles the lie that the 2020 election was stolen, earning Donald Trump's approval. She describes immigration on Arizona's southern border as an, quote, invasion. She has accused Ms. Hobbs of supporting sex education for youngsters and opposing medical care for infants who survive abortion attempts. Both characterizations are misleading, but unlike many of Mr. Trump's acolytes, she is fully media-trained. Glenn Beck, a right-wing radio host, compares her speaking talent to that of Ronald Reagan. Ms. Hobbs refuses to debate her, no doubt for fear of getting shown up. Critics spy opportunism in Ms. Lake's recent political awakening. She says no politician since Reagan has thrilled her like Mr. Trump, yet she voted for Barack Obama in 2008. She calls herself Christian from birth and dismisses rumors that she dabbled in Buddhism. The yoga was for stress relief, she says. If she can convince Arizona voters that she is the real deal, the Lake Playbook, ultra-smooth delivery of far-right talking points, could be a winner. Democrats are rightly worried. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Yasumasa Watanabe, Tokyo, Japan. North America, Kathy Adams, Burlington, Canada. Central and South America, Sylvia Mora Bowen, Quito, Ecuador. Europe, Agnieszka Bukajka, Krakow, Poland. Africa, Hassan Aluli Abdaluli, Rabat, Morocco. Oceania, Warren Tuhe, Auckland, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Luke, 
Empire State, Napoleon Solo, The Maltese Falcon, and Force. The theme is Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, The Empire Strikes Back, Han Solo, Millennium Falcon, and The Force. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from James Clerk Maxwell. He that would enjoy life and act with freedom must have the work of the day continually before his eyes. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening 